0: We're going to be reading Ruth, chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, he shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you get out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law.
1: Good morning. Glad you guys navigated around the uh, marathon. I think we have about 12 runners in that race, a very uh, active and athletic group we have here. I am not one of them. Let me pray as we uh, open these scriptures. Father, thank you for your word, and we ask that you would reveal to us what you want us to hear from it, not just to gain more knowledge and not just for conviction and for a different feeling, but that it leads us to action that it leads us to transformation of more than just thought, but in deed. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in chapter 2, things are starting to look up for Ruth and Naomi, even though they're still in a very difficult position. They're both poor widows. And that didn't stop Ruth from making choices to initiate change in her life. She chose to look for favor in verse 2. And she didn't let those circumstances paralyze her. And when she found favor, she was humble and grateful for it. As we see that she asked why she had found favor in verse 10. And then in verse 13, she said, I have found favor, recognizing that she indeed received favor. In chapter 2, we read that Boaz provided protection and provision to Ruth, even though she wasn't one of Boaz's servants. Which isn't a surprise because we were told back in verse 1 that Boaz was a worthy man. A worthy man who comforted and spoke kindly to Ruth at a time that she really desperately needed it. Because if you imagine her situation, she left her family, everything that was familiar to her back in Moab, to go to this foreign land where her mother-in-law, Naomi, which means pleasant, is now asking people to call her Mara, bitter, bitter. So Ruth did what she could and she brought back some good news that she probably knew would lift up Naomi's spirit here in our text this morning. And Ruth witnessed the goodness of Naomi's God to whom Ruth said she would follow. How God was really the one providing protection and provision. How Boaz was just following God and how to exercise Grace now here we are in our text, starting in verse fourteen, and at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, "Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine." Boaz extended grace to Ruth, inviting her to eat with them. Now the law provided a vision we went over this last week in Leviticus and in deuteronomy a provision for the poor to glean from the field, that the owners of the field were not allowed to glean all the grain, leaving nothing for the poor because God Executes justice for the poor, the outcast, the outsider. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Psalm chapter 146, verses 5 through 9. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. Are we like God who executes justice? How are we executing justice? And this is really important for us to understand and to implement. And this is the heart of God. At Regeneration, there are several ways that we provide opportunities to execute justice. And some of the youth and the children in our neighborhood come from fatherless homes where the single mother is essentially a widow. How are we serving them? We have ministries supporting the youth and the families around here through martial arts, through mentoring, through tutoring, But the question is, how are you, the individual, involved in those things? The church provides those opportunities, but where are you in those opportunities? The opportunity to be like God, to be like Boaz, to execute justice, it's here. We're doing it. How about involving yourself in God's work of justice? For the sojourner, there are many in our community. There are those in the homeless community and there are those in the refugee community, essentially the sojourner. Every Sunday morning and every other Friday night, we have an opportunity to execute justice to the homeless, the sojourner, to provide a meal, to pray with them, to talk with them, to love them. Every Friday we have the opportunity to execute justice for our refugee community, the sojourner. Every Friday afternoon, we help them with English classes and job training. Every Saturday morning, we have citizenship classes with them. How about involving yourself personally, you, not just the idea that you belong to a church that does this in God's execution of justice? To execute justice is in God's character. Is it in us? I think it's in us as a collaborative, as a community, because I know that we believe in this in theory and that we talk about it all the time. But how about doing it in action, all of us? Not just depending on the church to do it for us or those few individuals that have a real passion for those things, but to execute justice, not just philosophize about it and to just think about it, but actually do it. Micah 6.8 eight. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice. Not think about it. To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We are to execute justice, as Boaz did. And do others know we are people of justice and kindness, as Ruth found that out about Boaz? Boaz was a person reflecting God's grace, God's justice. Are we doing this? Does grace, justice, kindness flow naturally from us? Is it within our character to be a reflection of God's character? Because if it isn't, how will people see an invisible God through his children if his children aren't reflecting who he is? John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are My disciples. If you have love for one another, how else will people know How will people know the love, grace, justice, kindness of God if not through His followers, through His disciples? We are to be like Boaz. And you notice what Boaz did. Boaz went beyond the provision of the law. He told Ruth, To stay in the field, to stay close to his young women in verse 8. He told her to focus on gleaning the grain so that when she got thirsty, just go and drink what the young men have already drawn. Don't worry about that task and spend your time doing that task. You spend your time gleaning grain and not worrying about water, verse 9. And he invited Ruth to partake in their meal, verse 14. Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. She was treated like one of them invited into the community, not treated as a stranger. What they ate, she ate. The community that they had, she had. Isn't this a beautiful picture of what the church could be like? I hope for our church to be consistently like this for all people. Unfortunately, it's just not. Not consistently. It is for some. Some folks come here And they find community right away. They sense the hospitality. They experience the generosity. And it happens right away. Others? It's a struggle. It's a struggle to fit in. It's a struggle to find connection. It's a struggle to build intimacy. I need to ask all of you to pray for us. That you would pray for us. And if this is your church community, to please do your part to help people feel welcome. To help extend hospitality. And the short time that we have with people in our church service, it's so valuable. It's just an hour, hour and a half or so, right? We, we don't know what people are going through. We don't know their struggles. We don't know their hurts, their pains. But there are reasons why they're here. There is a reason why people are here. And whatever that reason is, we need to do our part to invite them into our community to come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine, To let them know that you are no longer a stranger. You are amongst friends, you are amongst family, that kindness and hospitality and generosity has been extended to them as we reflect the heart of God to one another. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some leftover. I don't know about you, but I love leftovers. I don't like your leftovers, so don't start, like, bringing me your doggy bag. I'm a total germaphobe, but I purposely over-order so that I can have leftovers, purposely. Like, people are wondering, like, you have three young children, and how are you going to eat, like, ten dishes? They don't understand. This is, like, for the next day. So, last week, my family went to a Szechuan restaurant, which Sherry recommended to me, by the way. And for those of you who don't know what Szechuan food is, it's southwest Chinese food. Right? So what Tex-Mex is to American, Szechuan is to Chinese. That's how it is, right? So really bold flavors, right? It's just like a lot of pop and and known for its spiciness and that's what it is. So good. So I ordered with leftovers in mind and it looked like I just ordered Chinese takeout when I left because I'm like "Uh, going out, right? And so that's Ruth. Looked like she had Chinese takeout after she ate all that she wanted. She's taken back a whole bunch. And you, so you see how gracious and generous Boaz was. You know, yeah, all-you-can-eat buffet, eat all-you-can-eat, and you get leftovers. See, it's not like the regular all-you-can-eat, no leftovers. No, you can't take it. You, what you eat here stays here. Not so with Boaz. All-you-can-eat and take it. And so you notice how Boaz's invitation, it also crossed racial lines. It crossed socioeconomic lines. He ate with the harvesters who weren't of the same socioeconomic class. He could have eaten with other field owners. He could have eaten alone and not mix it up with these guys. But he ate with the reapers. He crossed the racial lines by inviting Ruth to eat with the harvesters. He broke any idea anyone else may have had about associating with the Moabites, because this was kind of taboo. And so he said, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsels in the wine. Now, eating was a really intimate event in this culture, and sometimes we have a hard time understanding this, because in our Western culture, we order our own dish. That steak that I ordered is my steak. That salad that I ordered, my salad. So when the server comes out and she puts the plate for me in front of me, no one else touches that. Right? That's mine. Now, that was a hypothetical me. Okay? Because although I'm westernized, there are some things that aren't Western about me, like food culture. There is no such thing as my dish. At my house. That doesn't exist. We share everything. There is no me. It's all about we. So when we eat, we're Eastern. All right? So everything is shared. We ask each member of the family, hey, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? But we share everything. Now, this is something that my wife had to get used to. And actually, now she really likes it. Because um, for those of you who don't know, um, I'm not white. And um, I know, I know, I, I know. I know you're surprised. I look, I see it. But my wife is. My wife is. So when we went out with my family, my parents and my nieces and my sister, brother-in-law, and when we were dating, she'd order something. And she thought that when she ordered something, that was just for her. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. That's not how that works. You are ordering what you'd like to contribute To the family meal. You are not ordering your meal. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this before, but next time you go to a more Western place, look for Eastern people. Okay? Because you'll notice this plate passing, and you'll notice food kind of going all over the place. And you're like, what is going on? Like, the food is just there. How come it's all this stuff going on? Because there's an Eastern influence to the eating, right? When a server brings out the food to a Western family and they ask, is there anything else you need? Typically, a Westernized family will say, no, thank you. Or they will say, yeah, can I have a refill of drinks or can I have some ketchup Or, or something like that? But when a server asks an Easternized family, is there anything else you need? What do we say? May we have some extra plates. That's what we ask. And all you Eastern influence people are, you, you know, we ask for extra plates. Why? Because we share everything. It's not just that plate. It's it. It, that, that is not your food. It is our food. Right? This is our food. And you know what I love seeing? I love seeing an Easternized family in a Westernized fine dining restaurant. That is supposed to be formal and everything is proper. Everyone's dish is in front of them. But we don't care. <laughs> no, we don't care. We just start cutting up all the dishes and, like, hey, put it in there, pass it all, and people are just like, what in the world? Because they come in, they like do this, voila! And it's like, hey, can you give me some of that? Just, that's just how it is. And so you see how intimate eating is in the Eastern culture. It's, it's very intimate. You, you don't get individual settings of hummus, right? You, you don't get that. Everyone shares it. We were in Palestine last year with the interns, and we went to a Palestinian home for a meal. Did they serve us individual plates? No way. Humongous plate of chicken and rice and onions, and cauliflower, and my mouth is drooling, it's so good, and no individual servings, we all ate out of the same huge serving of rice, very communal, right, everyone goes in there, have you ever had hot pot, hot pot's an Asian thing, right, (laughs) boiling broth in the middle of the table, people put their veggies in there, and their meats in there, and their noodles, all the stuff, they use their chopsticks, and everything's communal, Everything's in the same pot. Ew. <laughs> for you germaphobes, this is going to be hard for you to swallow. Right? Sw- swallow. <laughs> Everyone's chopsticks. That whole table. Everyone put their mouths in their food and they get their food and put it in there. They just a, put it in the sauce. saliva is all mixed up in that soup, yo. It's like... I can't do hot pot outside of family. I cannot. I will not. That's just too much other people's spit. I can't do it. But that's the Eastern culture. Everything's all mixed up. We're all sharing everything. You know, it's all mixed up there. And So you see how Boaz was a bridge to connect Ruth to his community in this really intimate setting of sharing food. That's our opportunity. We are to be a bridge. Connecting people to God. Connecting people to our church. Building intimacy, trust, relationships. Creating that space to do that. And food is a great way to do it. Food is a great connector. So we have this Passover meal coming this Friday. You're invited. You're all invited. So please come here. And eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. You're all invited. And it's going to be a great night of community. It's going to be a great night of connecting. We are to bridge for people who feel disconnected so that they no longer feel separated. We are to include them, to invite them, to strengthen the connection between God and an individual and that individual to the community. Ruth was a stranger. Ruth was a foreigner, a person of a a different race, a different ethnicity, but was welcomed into the community by Boaz. He invited her to be part of his community. The Bible breaks racial, socioeconomic barriers within people, between people. And when people use the Bible to defend their racism, their classism, their sexism, their ageism, whateverism there is... They are misinterpreting the Bible. Look at Ruth. Look at Ruth. I went to a predominantly white university, so naturally I dated white women. So while I was working there, one of my bosses told me I was in sin because I dated white women. And he used the Bible to back up his claim. Broke out Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 1 through 3. Let me read that to you. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons." So he told me and the girl I was dating that we needed to stick to our own races because we're only to seek marriage within our own races. So I thought to myself, bummer. Because I only knew of like one Chinese girl in the whole university. And she was already in a serious dating relationship with a white dude. I was like, like, what am I going to do? And I thought, man, you're, you're crazy. Because we're all descendants of Noah anyway. Like, so, aren't we all the same? We're all the same. And I could have looked it up in the Bible and just kind of read the next verse. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 4. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. That's the reason why not to intermarry. It had nothing to do with race. It had nothing to do with ethnicity. It was because a non-believer within those seven kind of larger groups would turn away a believer from following God. This wasn't a racial issue. This was a theological issue. But people have attempted to defend their racism with biblical texts such as this. But if we read them within context, it's not defending racism at all. You just forgot the fourth verse. Paul addressed my uh, collegiate logic about being descendants of Noah in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Luke wrote this, uh, what Paul said. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. You get that? Paul proclaimed that we are all descended from Adam through Noah and that there is one God who created all of us. So, the issues of race, color, ethnicity, discrimination is not defended in the Bible. The issue that God has is one of another's influence pulling away the people of God from Him. Where our heart towards God is pulled away towards idolatrous things. And the gospel transcends all racial lines. Look at Ruth. Isn't it happening here? It's happening in the book of Ruth. Doesn't Boaz marry her? If you guys didn't know, sorry, I spoiled the end. (laughs) She's a Moabite. They're not the same ethnicity. And he's not a lawbreaker. He is a worthy man. He married her because she loved God. And it didn't matter what her race was. Verses 15 and 16, So when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Ruth experienced what Paul wrote about God in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Boaz was being like God. He did far more abundantly than what Ruth asked for or thought of. But you notice what Boaz didn't do. He didn't say, Ruth, you don't have to glean anymore. You're done. Don't worry. I'm going to provide for everything. I'll get my workers to glean for you and for Naomi. And I'll have them even roast it, and they'll even drop it in your mouth. They'll come with the leaves and just fan you. You just lie down and lounge. You wake up and you just open your mouth like a baby bird. And they'll be like a mama bird. they just drop the grains in your mouth. And we'll just do that for you. You don't have to do a thing. See, Boaz was like God. God still wants us to glean, to put forth effort. He doesn't want to rob us of our dignity. He doesn't want to rob us of our free will to make choices. He doesn't want to rob us of exercising and demonstrating our true character. Because how can we prove what our character is if everything is given to us? How can we show our faithfulness? How can we show our loyalty? How can we show perseverance, love, if we don't have the opportunity to demonstrate those characteristics? So Ruth was given this opportunity to demonstrate her character just like you and I are now. God's not going to do it. Open your mouth. He doesn't do that. Glean. Work. Put forth the effort. Do your thing. Make choices. God gives us those opportunities to, to test our character, for us to demonstrate our true character. But God does far more abundantly than what we ask or think, just as Boaz did. Boaz didn't do everything for Ruth, but you look at what Boaz did do for Ruth. Verse 15. Let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. He told this young man, don't give her a hard time or put her down by ridiculing her or embarrassing her or talking to her because I know she's a Moabite, but you guys don't give her a hard time for that. Don't reprimand her if she gleans further in from among the sheaves than what the law required. I know the law says that it's on the outer side, but if she comes in, that's fine. That's fine. Leave her alone. In fact, make it so that she's more proficient at gleaning. You guys set that stuff out for her. Pull some from those bundles and leave that for her. How welcoming are we? Or do we just put up barriers and barriers on how to get into our community? Before you get in here, you've got to clean up. You've got to smell right. And you've got to dress right. You've got to stop smoking. And you've got to stop sleeping around. We have this laundry list of to-dos before we even let people in how do we treat other people here are we making it easier are we making it more efficient for them for whatever effort they put out great good you're making those steps it's important for us to invite people to our community but not to set up the barriers for them once you do oh come here but just invite them in to connect with them And to connect them with others. And if you've been here for a while and you feel connected, may you help us with this? Can you help us with this? And if you've been here a while and you feel disconnected, which I know you are here, I'm really sorry. It's not my intent. It is not our church's intent. It is just a deficiency that we have. It is something that we need to work on. So something I'm asking of you, could you let me, can you let somebody in the church know how we can do better how you felt because someone did something or did not do something can you give us that feedback so that we can learn and if you're new here i've just confessed to you that we're not perfect we're far from it we have a desire to do better we want to do better and we are really blessed that you are here Thank you for coming. I know it wasn't easy with the marathon stuff going on. And I'm recruiting you to help us. To help us figure out this deficiency. To share with us, you know, I felt really welcomed when you guys did this. I don't feel welcome when you guys did this other thing, though. And as children of God, having a connection to God, let's ask God together to lead us in this. We have prayer meetings every Sunday at 5 o'clock before the evening service. And I'm asking you guys to help us with this, to pray to God about this, because God has given us a lot. He has blessed us with a lot. And He's given us the dignity to take this opportunity to demonstrate our character to be welcoming and hospitable and loving. And He's given us so much. There's so much for us to glean, but we still need to do so much work. So look for that person that you've never met before. Pray that God would lead you to a person who is in need of prayer, who is in need of a listening ear, who is in need of a hopeful word. Pray for that. Verse 17, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So here, Ruth demonstrated her character again. Back in verse 7, the foreman told Boaz that Ruth continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. So no change in her character to work hard, to persevere, to keep to her word. And then in here in verse 17, she gleaned in the field until evening. She still worked long hours. Even though her circumstances were different, she didn't have to draw water. Grain was put before her where she could just glean from that. And she took full advantage. She took full advantage of what was given to her. And she continued to glean. She didn't slow down. She didn't like, slack off and say, Hey, this is made easier. I did the same that I did the other day. I'm done. I'm going to go home. She kept going. So she gleaned about an ephah. So in other words, barley. That's Oakland. Hecko's from Oakland. Verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So this all started with Ruth, what? Back in verse 2, deciding, choosing to go find favor. Let me go find favor. And so when she found it, in verse 10, she asked, why have I found favor? This beautiful picture of humility, this beautiful picture of gratitude. And then in verse 13, she recognized that she did indeed find favor. I have found favor. What did that allow her to do? Live in it. It didn't mean for her to slack off. It meant, I need to take full advantage of this grace, of this favor. I need to continue to work hard. I need to be who God made me to be. I need to retain my character. God has favor and grace for you. I know that it may not always feel like it, but it is there. It is there. So will you be like Ruth, choosing to find favor like she did in verse 2? Let me go find favor because God's grace is abundant for you. He's not like rationing that out like, Mm, Just a G out of grace today. That's it. That's all you get. It's abundant. It's overflowing. But at the same time, He won't rob us of demonstrating our character, of preserving our dignity, of making choices even though His favor is overflowing. Ruth showed Naomi what she gleaned. She came back and and then she, she bought the Chinese takeout. Right, because not only did she bring back the raw food, the ephah of grain that would feed them for days, she also brought the ready-to-eat food so that they wouldn't have to cook that night. Isn't that great? When you don't have to cook, it's a great thing. You see this? This is it's biblical because you don't have to do as many dishes. I don't have to. Oh, just the plates. That's it. We don't have to do the pots. We don't have to do all that other stuff. Mixing bowls. We don't have to do any of that. Everything's. It's a good deal. And further insight into Ruth's character. She didn't bring back the Chinese takeout for herself. She brought it to share with Naomi. She wasn't selfish. She wasn't greedy. She was like, no, 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 no. That stuff you have to cook, this was made. I'm going to eat this. This roasted stuff, this it was for me. She's looking out for Naomi. She's really generous here. Verses 19 and 20. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has uh, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our Redeemers. Do you sense Naomi's kind of excitement here? She used to be bitter. Right now she's more of like a mother-in-law inquisitive. Hmm, Boaz, hmm, where'd you work today? Oh, it's more like that, right? And there's this word again, chesed, kindness. Again, that we talked about in Ruth chapter 1 several weeks ago. God's goodness, His faithfulness, His mercifulness, His loving kindness, which is evidenced in Boaz. And in verse 20, Naomi told Ruth that Boaz is one of their redeemers, which we will get into next time when we talk about chapter 3. Verse 21, And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So Ruth shared with Naomi that, you know what? We have some stability. I don't have to go from field to field anymore. He's actually offered for me just to come to the same field. So we don't have to worry about kind of where our next meals are going to come from. Verse 22, And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you will be assaulted. So Naomi recognized that not only does Ruth have this stability of provision, but she also had protection. She also said to Ruth to stick close to the young women, which is also something that Boaz told her. Verse 23, So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth listened to Naomi. And how many people would benefit by submitting themselves to the wisdom of people who have walked longer with God? How many people make poor decisions because they don't listen, seek, and implement the wisdom of people who have feared God longer. So many foolish decisions could be different if impulsive passions didn't rule an individual, and if the individual would follow the advice of those who have followed God longer than they have. And here we continue to read about Ruth's character, a woman who listened to the counsel of those wiser than her who worked hard, who persisted, who stuck to her word. At the end of chapter 1, what did we find? Ruth and Naomi arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest. That was at the end of chapter 1. What do we find here at the end of chapter 2? She gleaned until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. The harvesting is done. So what's next in chapter 3, now that this harvest has ended, but we know that God's grace is there for them, that God's favor is there for them. And that we will find out when we look into chapter 3 after Easter. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We ask God that you would equip us to be a community that is good at connecting people to you, at connecting people to one another, that they would find a place that is welcoming, that they would find a place that is encouraging them, supporting them, that is going to be there in times of hurt and struggle. I pray, God, that we would be blessed with that gift of hospitality. I ask, God, that for anyone hurting here, Lord, that you would give them the courage to extend themselves, to to make things a little more simple for us as uh, we are deficient in some senses as to how to go about that. So, Lord, may you give us that sensitivity this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.